Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. It is a joy to open up the Word of God as God does continue to speak to us in His, in His scriptures, inspired, God-breathed, that continue to change our lives. Open your Bibles to the book of Mark. We go back to our exposition of this great gospel as we continue to take these screenshots of the actions and the ministry of Christ as, as Mark is drawing our attention to the nature of Jesus being a servant who will one day go to the cross according to his gospel, and we know that to be true, as he is resurrected, and there's no grave that holds his bones. Let me begin by reading our scriptures for us, the passage that will contain our study, starting in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. The word of God reads this, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going, a little, going on a little farther, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in, a, in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and went away to follow him. Let us pray. Father, again, we draw our attention to your words. The scriptures are, are living and they're active and they're sharper than a two-edged sword. They pierce our souls. They convict and they also confirm what is right, what is true, what is good. In this narrative, Lord, you have drawn us to the call of your disciples, four in particular, but yet it has a, a lasting impact as that call continues to ring forth even today. We ask, Lord, that you will teach us, have your spirit have its way with our souls, Father. May it sift through our thoughts and our actions and cause us to be lovers of Christ. And so we love you, be with your servant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our passage this morning is a simple truth on the call of Christ. Our passage tells us of a narrative of Jesus Christ calling the first four disciples. All four of them are fishermen. All four were on the Sea of Galilee doing what fishermen do, and that was to fish. All four left what they knew and followed Jesus. 
Each fisherman considered the call of Christ, the cost it would take, and left their trade to follow Jesus. At the heart of this truth is the cost of discipleship, the cost of, of following Jesus. And just as Jesus gave us, as we saw a couple weeks ago, the sum and summation of the gospel by announcing that the kingdom of God, by announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. Of course, we looked at that. It, that spoke about judgment and that the heart needed to be ready. And the call that one must repent and believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And what follows in this narrative is the actions of such. It's disciples applying what they know to be true about the Lord. And how one responds to the call of Jesus. This is a call like no other call. It's a call that as you would look into your own salvation, it's a call that changed your life and it should change your life. It's a transformation. It's a call to obedience. It's a call with understanding that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. A call to abandon it all and follow Christ. These first disciples responded by considering the cost. They were in their trade, leaving what they had knew and obeyed the command to follow, and in turn, were set on a mission to go make disciples. And though these four will become apostles, they were first called to be disciples of Christ. This passage, for that matter, details the same call for all those of Christ's disciples. It's the same call when the gospel call came to your soul, to, to leave what you know, and to, and to deny self, and to pick up your cross, and receive in faith Jesus Christ. It's a call to forsake all things and follow Christ. And what a joy it is to, to have this before us, to, to energize us, to, re, to remind us if you've already received that call and you received the grace and mercy, to, to reminded that this is something that has changed your life and continues to do so. It's also a call for those who don't believe. That today is the day of salvation, that you hear the call of Christ and that you hear the salvation that he brings. And the call is the same call, you must follow him. To consider the cost to follow Jesus. We live in a day and age where contemporary, that the contemporary call is to come to Jesus, it's just to raise your hand, to walk an aisle, to Accept Jesus and everything will go well. Often to consider the cost to follow Jesus is left out of the equation, but there is a cost to follow Christ. And yet, in light of this contemporary call that seems superficial, that seems to be something that is, is more emotion-based instead of understanding the, the, the call and the cost to follow and be a disciple of Christ, when persecution comes, guess what? They scatter. They scatter when their faith requires something of them. Scripture has told us that. Today's contemporary call for disciples to Jesus is nothing short of hot air in a balloon, and when fire attacks it, 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 it disintegrates. It's light, it's fluffy, has no substance, no resolve, no commitment. 
I think as a pastor in, in, in my 20 years here, just, just beating the same drum of being called to Christ means that he is Lord of your life, that he is king, that he's master, and that the obedience of the one who calls himself a Christian comes with a complete obedience to the things of the scriptures. We live in a day and age where, where Christians are picking, cherry picking the scriptures for their own delight. Listen, 66 books of inspiration that is called for all of us to obey. It's not subjective. It, it is a call to believe and to trust, knowing that it is eternal and that we must follow it. Today's Christendom has created a theology that says you can be a Christian and not worry about being a committed disciple of Jesus. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? And it is. Following Christ has a cost. And considering that cost, following Christ, forsaking all, obeying Christ, are all synonymous with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me you're a follower of Jesus if you're not all in. I mean, Scripture's replete with that. Is it not? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first. And what that means is in everything, seek him. And whatever you do, Colossians 3.17, in word or deed, you do what? All to the glory of, of Christ. And so it is my desire to set up this truth before we get into the, to the exposition of the scriptures. I, I want this truth because it's so important to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because when we get to the text in our passage this morning, all this understanding will be at the heart of the four apostles. We get a snapshot of these guys coming. This is not the case where Jesus walks down the, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is literally a lake. But he walks down and, and they hear, follow me, and they just get up and follow there was something already in their heart for them to consider what they were doing and to leave what they had known and forsake it all and follow Christ. It's interesting to me, this word, root word for disciple was matha in the Greek. It is used 262 times in the New Testament. There's a lot what it <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> comes to understanding when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. According to Baker's Dictionary of the Bible, it defines a disciple as someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself to the discipline or the teaching of that leader or that way. The Greek lexicons, as you open them up, it tells us it means one who shares a close and intimate relationship with that person. The disciple is one who at Jesus' call follows after him. He is their subject. He is their, their desire. And that disciple must observe the will of God and, and even binding upon himself, he is unreserved in his following. And he will go as far as even giving his life for the truth. Where are the Christians that are going to lay down their life for the cost and the call of Christ to be able to say, I follow no one else but Jesus? In a biblical sense, we must see being a disciple as much more than being an educated learner. Oh, I love truth. I love theology. But listen, theology is no good unless it is applied in how I live. 
is much more than just having head knowledge. Being a disciple is taking the truth of Christ and actually living. And so that when you live for Christ, they could say, hey, he, he definitely follows Jesus. It's a biblical sense of being intimate follower, having an intimate relationship. All that is so imperative that when we open the scriptures, we get it and we obey it. A disciple of Jesus Christ would die for his Lord and for his truth, no matter what. Listen, I, I preach something like that, make a statement. The day is coming. The verdict will come. Will you stand for Jesus? We live in a little, little city called Twin Falls, Idaho, but it is coming our way where people are going to wonder, what is your allegiance? And is it Jesus? Or is it the world and the culture? The message of considering the cost, the call, and what it means to live in submission and obedience to that call is actually what's in our narrative in our passage here this morning. In our passage in Mark, starting in verse 17, Jesus says, follow me. Beloved, that's a command. And the beautiful thing about it, it from the one who's, who gives it, I can tell Tatum, follow me. And guess what? She does not follow. But when Jesus, who has the divine authority, who has spoken all things into existence, and the call is, follow me, we perk up, we listen, and we obey. That word in verse 17, follow me, is in the present tense, which means it's a daily submission, a daily denial of self, and picking up your cross and following him. This call is, is all over the scriptures, beloved. I don't know where Christendom has missed the mark. I don't know if it's because they want their, their, their pews filled and they want the doors open. They want a softer message. Listen, Jesus didn't, didn't promise you roses. He, he promised you persecution. He promised you suffering. He promised you that it's going to, to consider a, a cost that, that, that will upset even households. It was never a plea to make some kind of a, 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 a momentary decision to acquire forgiveness and then go on and live the way you want to. The call of Christ is an invitation to come where the lost, the sinners, repent of their sins and they trust in the one who can save them. It's a costly commitment. Look to the screen, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It says there, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and, and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus teaching in parables of the earthly understanding of a heavenly cost of, of selling everything and coming to Christ. A man found a treasure, sold all that he had and bought it. A man found a pearl, sold all that he had and bought it. Now what that says is that, that when a man comes across the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, he gives up all he has. And he turns from his sins 
and he receives Christ. He gives up everything and follows Christ. I'll never forget the discussion I had with my dad. My dad was a heavy, authoritative figure in my life. He was a 6'5 guy. He was a guy who played basketball at University of Nevada, Reno. He was a big guy. Told him, receive Christ. He says, oh boy, that was a mistake. I, I, I was kind of shocked, but I started preaching to him. In other words, I started sharing the gospel with him about all that Christ has done and what he would do and, and what he can do for him. And he told me to get off my soapbox and get out of his kitchen. You talk about humbling real quick. At that moment, the decision, do I forsake Christ and embrace my dad or forsake my family and embrace Jesus? I think you know where that, that answer went. But here's the joy of that. Let me give you the rest of that story. That so tenderizes his heart. That through seminary, we had a class in evangelism where we had to choose people that we love to share the gospel with. Boy, did I share again Christ to my dad. His words were, were very kind, moved me to tears. He says, son, I've been watching you. I know that you Belief in Jesus. And I want that Jesus. The cost of following Christ. Giving up everything. The greatest treasure that you will have. And finding total sufficiency in the Savior. He's sufficient for all things in your life. He gives you eternal life. He restores your soul. He gives you grace. And his imputed righteousness, he atones for your soul. The list goes on and on and on. What more do you need than Jesus? You tell me. And I tell you that we'll always fall short of the greatness of who Christ is. All that leads you to being sold out for Christ. I don't know about you, but when I think about the, all the blessings that I have in Christ Jesus, it causes me to consider all the foolish things that I pursue. What greater treasure then do we have than Jesus Christ? Then I think of Matthew chapter 10, verses 33 to 39. Here, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, listen to the cost of this. I will also confess him before the Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies who will be the members of his household. He who loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who lost his life for my sake will find it. Rationally, that doesn't make sense to us, does it? 
But spiritually, it makes all the sense in the world when we give up everything and we find the, the sufficiency of Jesus and say, yes, he is more than sufficient to be all that he said he is to be. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 14, we hear the echo of the same level of commitment. Luke 14, it says, Now large crowds were, were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower does not first down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he had a found, laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else... While the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. You know what he's telling us is that he will not have any equal amongst himself. Whatever you value, Jesus says, I am, I am king, I am Lord, I'm superior in all of that. He will not have any competing idols in your soul when it comes to his lordship in your life. And by the way, when you start playing around with those idols in your soul and how foolish it is and how unfulfilling they are, it only cements the, the truth that Jesus is all I want and Jesus is all I need. I think of John chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus said, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had beloved, uh, believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine. John 15, 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit so as to prove to be my disciples. Your discipleship means that you believe, you receive, you obey the truth. It has actions. Don't tell me with your lips that you love Jesus and not show me with your actions that you love Christ. I mean, every one of those contexts that we just read, Matthew 13, Matthew 10, Luke 14, John 8, John 15. They're all contexts when Jesus is calling men to salvation and to consider the cost in doing so. Beloved, that is true evangelism. It's not only presenting Jesus and all that he has done, but it also imploring the heart to consider what it's going to cost you to do so. You think about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to preach the death and resurrection of Christ, preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin, call for faith to make disciples, a call to consider the cost. That sums it all up. Yes, you must repent. Yes, you must believe. But you also must show a life of commitment. I think about the mission of the church. Mission of the church is to make disciples. That's why we're still here. You understand that, right? We are here to throw seed of the gospel onto hearts. So as they receive, and then the Lord calls, and the Lord brings, and the Lord saves. That is the mission of the church. 
We usually gather on Sunday morning. We worship, exalt the king. We desire to be equipped to understand how to, how to go and make disciples. We fellowship. We use spiritual gifts. And yet when we scatter, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples. And disciples are people who believe the gospel, people who have turned their, from their sins to embrace the forgiveness of God, people who have transformed lives so that they are motivated to obey what the Lord has commanded them. When you think about your sin, the issue is, is that you like yourself more than you like God. Simply put. And knowing that Jesus will have no competitor when it comes to eradicating your sin, you must kill it. That little book, Mortification of Sin. Killing your sin so as to not ever give it life. And in turn, living in the righteousness of Christ. I think you understand, beloved, that we live in a society that is somewhat cushy. I had heat on this morning. I had lights over my head. We had food in the freezer, food in the refrigerator. Yet a day is coming where your faith will stand trial. And what will be your verdict? Will your plea be for Jesus, no matter the cost? Even if it will cost you your life? I don't think we necessarily see that to, to, to a degree here. But don't think that that doesn't happen around the world. One of the joys of visiting Russia and helping the Christian brothers and sisters as the wall came down and, and as Christendom went in and was to meet these, these believers, these followers. Let me tell you this. They understand what it means and the cost to follow Jesus. I'll never forget the time sitting by, invited by a family, got done preaching. And over in Russia, if you're a preacher, you're preaching all the time. I mean, there's not a day that there are at least three to four or five sermons in a given day. I mean, they just want to drain everything out of you, which is okay. It's okay. We had a break. It was time for dinner. Got invited over to a fellow brother and his family. His dad was a pastor. He was old and frail. I remember gathering at the table. We sat there until dad came, and dad showed up. He was old, frail. We started our conversations. We were enjoying the meal after prayer and talking about the Iron Curtain, the days of communism. Story after story of how these dear saints walked by faith and trusted in Christ and considered the cost. I asked him, how'd you become a pastor? Through the translator, his response to me was chilling. He, in essence, said this, I was next man up. I said, next man up? He said, yes. In those days, they would come, and if you were a pastor, they would arrest you, often for the congregation and the families never to see him again. He said, I was next man up. And he started to cry as he spoke in Russian. And what came out of his tears and his words was translated to me as faithfulness. He was crying about the faithfulness of the men that he followed. And how he would never deny his Lord. 
This is over dinner. It got emotional. He spoke about the horrific torture. He took off his shirt, burned in his skin, cigarette burns, torturing. He had a gash that is scarred up. He talked about all the things that they did to him. And then he smiled. And he said, we got a great Lord and Savior. We love Christ. This pastor spoke about the reality that when they shared the gospel, when they lived their walk in the communist days of Russia, everybody understood that it wasn't just a feel-good message of raising your hand, walking an aisle. It was going to come with a cost. I mean, listen, there was no shallow professions of faith in those early days of the Russian church after communism fell. Why? Because they considered the cost. I think of John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. Listen to what he says. You can look at the screen. It's a pretty long quote. Did we break that up? No, we didn't. So listen. He says in this book, Basic Christianity, he says, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow Him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today. Some call it nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with, with a decent but a thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Your religion is great, soft, and cushy. It protects them from the hard, unpleasant aspects of lives while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism, end quote. I mean, that's a hard-hitting truth. Pretty straight to the heart. He, in essence, says, you don't want to be like the guy who, who, who comes to Christ and builds a tower and it's, it's only half complete. You don't want to be the general who went to war and wasn't ready for what he was going to encounter. In other words, there's a sense in which you recognize the total cost of giving up your life for Christ, and then you follow Him. Sure, you might not have understood the fullness of that, but your resolve to understand that Jesus Christ is sufficient is enough to sustain you no matter what comes your way. The Christian isn't somebody who buys fire insurance, right? who signs up for an escape clause to get him out of hell. No, the Christian considers the cost and finds Christ so much worth his devotion and his obedience. 
that nothing blinds his devotion to him. A truly repentant sinner is devastated by the way he has offended God with his sin. He, he, is, he is not looking for some kind of escape clause. A true disciple loves, a true disciple obeys Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't care who it is or what dignitary it is. I don't care what office it is. Not to toot my own horn, I, I was a part of of our local hospital in a meeting where there was doctors, administrators. It was an ethics meeting. It happened many years ago, and they were talking about the consideration of do we continue to give blood to this patient that sustained life when it was given to him. The family was in that room. I remember the faces. I had no idea, wasn't privy to who had the titles they were talking about, listen, if we continue to give this patient blood, we will run out of, of any, all of our blood, thus an ethical issue. What do we do? Administrators said that, you know what, spending all these resources on this one person is going to be very costly. And we think it's best just to, to let them pass away. I was fidgety, as your pastor should be, right? I'm thinking, what in the world? We're talking about a life and a soul and a family that's in this room. And so I spoke up. I don't care what it costs. Look at this family. They're, they're bleeding for your help. Or you are a hospital, right? I thought that was going to be the end of my chaplaincy days. They decided to continue to give blood and minister. And by the way, guess what? This patient got well. Left the hospital. I remember leaving that meeting, and some nurses that I knew who worked the floors came up to me and says, "Man, you are bold." I said, "What do you mean? Do you know who you were speaking to?" I said, "I don't care." And they said, "Thank you for speaking up." That's a simple illustration of what it means to be bold in the midst of a situation. This is not something about necessarily Christ, but are we bold in our understanding that Christ is so significant that it doesn't matter who's in the room, that we're going to stand for truth, that we're going to embrace the call and the obedience to follow him. A true disciple loves, a true disciple obeys, a true disciple's loves Christ. All this sets the stage for a passage. That was all introduction, by the way. We'll run through this because I think you understand the significance of what is happening here in the heart of these fishermen when Jesus says, come and follow me. This is where discipleship starts. This is where the call of Christ, this is where the gospel starts. Look at verse 16. He, Jesus, was going along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. 
What's interesting to me, when you look at the other Gospels, in John chapter 1, you already had this, this interaction of the disciples, these particular disciples, with Jesus. They were followers of John the Baptist. This is roughly about a year into Christ's public ministry. It's, it's interesting to me in, in, in that chapter, and if we had time, I'd take you there, but it was one of those things, when you look at John chapter 1, and you see this interaction, and they were talking about who do we follow, because they were devoted to following John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, listen, you follow the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was already a transformation in the midst of their life as they went back to the Sea of Galilee and did their trade. They were commercial fishermen. And when Jesus shows up, he simply says, follow me. Now, why is this so significant? Because when you think about the rabbinic days and, and, and Judaism, often the rabbis, they would just walk and teach, and students would want to beg to be their disciples. And the rabbi would have to determine if, if they were sufficient enough to be one of, their, one of his followers. But this is the other way around. This is the, the, the teacher, the Messiah, who comes to the water and says, in the foreknowledge of his mind, he looks at these fishermen and he says, follow me. And they responded. They responded. So much so Mark just simply says that they, they left all that they had. He gives us the... the, the the sense of urgency. Look at verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. Immediately he called them and they left. Again, immediately they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired hands and went away to follow him. You think about Old Testament law. What's also significant about this, he says to follow me, a person. You think about Old Testament. They were always to call the rabbis to follow what? The law. The law that God gave. And they would teach him what that looked like. Moses, when he taught in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1, then Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances of which I'm speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. I mean, this is what they knew. The rabbis, they would wait, students would come, they would teach them the law, he would select some, and he would continue to teach them the law. And then you have Jesus that bursts onto the scene, he calls them to follow him, a person. And the question is why? The call to the four fishermen is rooted not in the law, nor even in the name of God, but in the Messiah, the person. Why? That is because Jesus fulfilled the law. This is so beautiful. You think about what he said in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so all the Old Testament prophets were pointing to the law. You must obey, you must obey. The people were frustrated because they couldn't obey the law. And Jesus comes and he fulfills it. He is superior as they could not follow the law. He did and could perfectly obey it and fulfilled all of it. 
Jesus is the perfect Lord and Savior that fulfills the law, now draws all of our attention, all of our adoration, all of our devotion. That's why we don't follow festivals and, 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 and Sabbath laws in a sense. We don't, we don't follow all those things. Why? Because they are complete in Christ. We follow the one who has come to save, who is Lord, who is Savior, fulfills the law. Look at the screen, Colossians 2. You want to write this down because it's going to help you in this understanding. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 19. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And you got to ask Paul, why? And he says, those things, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. All those things, the Old Testament law, all these festivals, the Day of, of Atonement, Yom Kippur, all these things were, were just a shadow. And Paul says this, he continues on, he says, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by, de by delighting in self-abasement. And they're thinking that, you're, that you can take this law, right, and, and obey it and do good and, 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 and be a good Jew. He says, don't let anybody defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows which a growth which is from God. Look to Jesus Christ alone. Alone. And if you need a little bit of color about Jesus, let me remind you what Colossians says about our Savior. It says there about Jesus, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him. I say, rather, things on earth are things in, his, are things in heaven. Listen, he is sufficient. He is superior. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's only Jesus. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus you. It's not Jesus and then some kind of festival. It is just Jesus. That's what you consider when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a call to surrender your life to the one who has given you eternal life. It's not a call to follow religion. It's not a call to follow a denomination. It's a call to, to follow the head of the church, Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting to me about this call, these four fishermen, what I love about this? Jesus in his public ministry, he, he, he doesn't go to the synagogue to find the greatest scholarly religious authority of the day. He goes to the Sea of Galilee 
and finds four rugged fishermen who are rough, no doubt hardworking, no doubt a little rough around the edges, and he makes them his disciples. Jesus Christ calling his disciples. And what's remarkable about following the disciples, if you go to the book of Acts, Acts tells us that these apostles turned the world upside down for the sake of Christ. So don't tell me that you need knowledge. Don't tell me that you need to go to theological school in order to be saved, to get a full understanding of who this Jesus that you're talking about. Jesus calls the responses to obey. And the call is to follow Him. The call is to focus on Him. Oh, I was going to give you some, some insight in the book of Hebrews. I mean, if you look at the book of Hebrews, it, it points to Jesus being superior over the angels, over the Old Testament, over the prophets, over everything. What a joy it is to know that He is sufficient. Christ is supreme. Jesus calls to for them. And then what's remarkable, and we'll kind of quickly go here. Verse 17 says, he, he gives this imperative, this present, follow me. And, and, and he says, I will make you become fishers of men. The call for these fishermen was to make disciples of Christ. They were called into service. Listen, every time Jesus calls, he's calling you into service. To be a herald of the king to reflect the king's life in your life. And the call, in turn, is to share others, to share Christ with two others. I mean, this speaks about a process. I mean, when he calls them off the boat, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I mean, there's a reason why he had to, to spend a lot of time with them. He, he was shaping their hearts and giving them an understanding of what it means to follow him. And he displayed it in his actions and being a servant, being a lover of people, and calling people. He pointed out the religious faults and heresy. The disciples were all there learning and, and gaining in, in such a case that when Jesus leaves, they become emboldened men to proclaim Christ. I mean, I think we get that. The call is still the same for us. Matthew 28 Remember the words of Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so a disciple of Jesus Christ is, is a call to follow Christ, and it's a call to, to make disciples. I think what's also remarkable, and, and these unsuspected disciples that Jesus calls, he calls them to leave everything and belong to a body of, of, of Christ. Look at verse 18 with me real quick. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed 
him. And it goes on and talks about the calling of James and his brother John. And verse 20 says, Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Community. Body life. Christ is the head. That's why we do this. We gather on a Sunday morning desiring to worship Christ, desiring to come together as the body of Christ, desiring to love on each other, to carry one another's burden. All the one another's in action. I mean, it doesn't take but seconds. When I go across the country and embrace somebody who says that they love Christ, I mean, we already have a unity because we have the same Lord. That's what's so remarkable about the body of Christ. I'm reminded of that, just the different interests and the different makes and the different aspects of who we are even within this church. And yet there's a love for each other. Why? Because of Jesus. We're unified in Him. I mean, this was the start of the church. Of course, the church comes after Jesus ascends. But here he is gathering them into a body. He's starting to, to form what he's going to have them do. He, he makes them study at his feet. He calls them to continue to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And most every one of those disciples, it cost them their life to follow Christ. Simply put, I mean, our takeaway from this, I mean, as the Spirit talks to you, how committed are you in to following Jesus? Is Jesus just a Sunday thing for you? Is Jesus just something that we mention when we go to a meal and pray? How deep is your disciple? How, how, how deep is your heart in following Christ? Is he your everything? Oh, I'm not saying perfectly. I haven't met anybody in this body, myself included, that has obeyed him perfectly. But desire, devotion, and want to, and to show to, can I say it that way? Absolutely. There are many of you who desire to forsake it all. You've heard it said, want to know what a person's heart is? Look at their checkbook. I don't know. I get the point. But is Jesus supreme, number one, in our lives? That is the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the morning for stirring our hearts to consider the cost. We marvel at the narrative that you simply went. Mark records for us a simple picture of clear obedience to abandon it all and to follow you. Lord, you know exactly the areas that we are hanging on to that we think is far better than submitting 
to your lordship in that area. May you humble us. May you cause us to consider how foolish it is to consider something else than you. We thank you for your patience in that. We thank you for your discipline in that. That you will cause us to understand how futile it is to follow things that are unworthy. Jesus, you are king and you are Lord. And as disciples of Jesus, we want to be committed no matter the cost. Father, for some, it's a matter of confessing that to their family. Of expressing a desire that today is the day that we will rise up and we're going to follow Christ. I pray that you will embolden those men to lead their families with such a devotion and love for you. Yes, it starts with them. But yet, Lord, may it filter down. As husband and wife make decisions for the family, may they, they understand the significance of what it means that we are going to consider Christ first when we make decisions. Help them. Protect them. The enemy desires to, to put other things and other temptations in their way. And yet, Jesus, you are sufficient. Embolden this church with the call to make disciples. Father, as we go from this place, may we have the gospel on our lips. May it be demonstrated in our kindness and love for others. But with, yet with a resolve, with a purpose to get to the truth that changes people's lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, even for the one who has come this morning or is online, who's been around church, who has heard a lot about Jesus and the gospel, may this day and this moment be the time that they are all in, where they repent and turn to Christ and believe that He is the only one that not only can forgive them of their sins, but can transform them and the disciple that you've called them to be. Thank you for your omniscience and knowing all those who, who will come to you. And we thank you for the call for us to go and make disciples. So Father, save. Father, redeem. Through your means, through Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, draw. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ who has given us life. We pray in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.